Hi, it's Dr. Risa E. Lewis dropping in to tell you about a book that Dr. Adara Landry and I wrote. It's called Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact. It's a business self-help book coming in 2024 by HarperCollins. Pre-order now, Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact, wherever you buy your books. Gender bias is a very, very difficult problem, but it is completely solvable. And that's the goal of the book is to give people, no matter where you are, who you are in an organization, whether you're the woman experiencing bias, whether you're a workplace ally, or whether you're a leader, to give you the strategies to eliminate, to shatter, to mitigate, you know, all the biases that women are, are running into. Like once you can recognize it, then you can put in place practices that get rid of it. And it is completely solvable. And so that's the one message that I want listeners to know. This is the Visible Voices Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Risa Lewis. In today's episode, I'm glad to bring you my conversation with Dr. Amy Deal. Amy is an award-winning IT leader. That's information technology. She's a gender bias expert. She's the co-author of a book. And this is the focus of today's conversation. The name of the book is Glass Walls, Shattering the Six gender bias barriers still holding women back at work. Now, audience, keep in mind, here are the six barriers that Amy and her co-author highlight. Number one, male privilege. Number two, insufficient support. Number three, hostility. Number four, acquiescence. Number five, devaluation. And number six, disproportionate constraints. And you can actually end each of these of in the workplace male privilege in the workplace, insufficient support in the workplace, hostility in the workplace, acquiescence in the workplace, devaluation in the workplace, and disproportionate constraints in the workplace. Let's get to the conversation. One of the things I really like that you and your co-author do in the book, and to be clear, there are many things I really like that you do in the book, is you name a concept or you name a phenomenon. In my own experience in writing, I did not come up with the acronym DARVO, but I wrote about DARVO Mm -hmm. in medicine and Jennifer Fried originated the concept and the term. And so many people are like, wow, I had no idea. Another co-author and I wrote a book about sandbagging in the workplace. And sandbagging usually is associated with golf, but we were able to transfer that concept to abusive behavior, Mm -hmm. bullying behavior in the workplace. Can you name a favorite concept, word, and share the definition and share a personal example? Sure. The term role incredulity. It's this idea that no matter what professional position you, a woman happens to be in, she's assumed to be the person not in charge. So if she's a leader, she's assumed to be the secretary or the administrative assistant or a student or she's a physician, she's assumed to be the nurse, for example. So yes, I have had this happen to me. Um, And it mostly happened when when I was assumed to be a student earlier on in my career. I worked in higher education and um, working in a university setting. I happened to work in IT. I would go out and help people with their computer issues. And I was assumed to be a student uh, as opposed to the IT specialist. And again, mainly because I was a woman and also as a young woman. And so young woman in IT, it was people were incredulous about my role. Um, And so that's the, the term that we came up with, role incredulity. Yeah. One of the really useful tools that I found helpful in the book is this gender bias scale for women leaders. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm going to read about this, and I'm wondering if you can share more. Mm -hmm. This scale is designed for organizations to administer to women to assess 15 factors of gender bias. The scale has been validated with a sample of over 1,600 women leaders in four industries. Those industries are higher education, faith-based nonprofits, law, and healthcare. The results can be used to identify specific types of bias prevalent for women within a group, department, or organization, and apply interventions accordingly. And that's one of the things I really appreciated about each chapter is you were action-oriented. How can we do better? So give us an example and how can we do better? So this, you mentioned the scale. The scale is how we scientifically identify the six primary factors of gender bias that we talk about in the book. The scale broken down into six primary factors and 15 uh, sub-factors. And so to give you an example of how that can be used is that an organization can um, administer this survey um, to their, their women employees and they can get the results and then they can then prioritize their uh, interventions uh, you know, across these 15 factors. We talk about many more factors in the book because we did additional qualitative research um, to identify more sub-factors under the six. So an example would be the concept of um, devaluation. So if you find that the women in your organization are scoring high on this, on this concept of devaluation, then you can apply interventions accordingly. So one intervention, one, I'll say, easier one to apply is the one that's probably the most ubiquitous. And it's the, this idea of women not being heard when in meetings. It's a, sort of an easy intervention in that it really just takes training your meeting, your leaders, your managers, your meeting facilitators to make sure that everyone's voice is heard in meetings and that women's um, ideas are not being overlooked and that everybody has a chance to speak and everybody's you know, ideas are being um, considered. So that's just one example. I was reminded of an interview I recently heard with Minda Hartz and Minda was on the Visible Voices podcast and she said that she's in a lot of closed room meetings counseling, coaching, working with CEOs. And she's had CEOs say to her, you know, I'm really not comfortable bringing up race or talking about race in my team, in the Mm -hmm. organization, in the work environment. She said, well, maybe it's time that we get another CEO or maybe you're no longer fit to be a CEO. So I'm wondering if you can think of and share an analogous situation that perhaps you've been in a session having a Q&A or speaking with a leader who's sort of professing where they are on this gender bias, education, acknowledgement, and actions to make things better? I've communicated with um, organizational leaders who have been very open to the idea of making change within their organization. And I'm thinking of one man in particular who led technology-related organization and me and my co-author, we, we came and we did some workshops for them, for him and his leadership team. And he was just very open to, like, even though this wasn't his experience, right? He's not the person experiencing gender bias. He was just very open to the idea that other people's experiences were not the same as his, which I think is the first and probably most important thing for everybody to recognize is that just because you have a certain experience doesn't mean that everyone else has that same experience and to be open to um, learning from other people's experiences. And so the neat thing about this workshop was that we um, were able to have little small breakout groups where 
people could could share, you know, what their experiences were. And it, you know, and he communicated the um, the fact that it was a safe space. And it was just very, I think, enlightening for him then, you know, to take that learning away and say, how can I do better? I'm Dr. Risa E. Lewis, dropping in to tell you about a book that Dr. Adair Landry and I wrote. It's called Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact. It's a business self-help book being published in April of 2024 by HarperCollins. We believe every future goal, complicated task, and healthy habit can be broken down into simple, measurable, and tiny skills that you can practice and then excel by removing obstacles, overcoming assumptions, and maximizing your potential at work and in life. You can pre-order it now. Go to bookshop.org, amazon.com, or wherever you buy your books. For audience members that are wondering, what's one thing? What's one thing I can do or one thing I can keep on my radar to help my colleagues in the workplace? Is there something that you can identify? Yeah, yeah. The easiest and most helpful thing to start with is calling out bias when you see it on behalf of the person that is the victim. And, you know, to call out bias, first of all, you have to learn about it. You have to learn to recognize it. And so that's the hope and the promise of this book is that, you know, once you've read this book, you can have a comprehensive idea of, what gender bias is and how it manifests. Um, so then when you're in any particular situation, like for example, my meeting, if you see a woman being heat-peated, what heat-peat means is that um, she expresses an idea and it's ignored. And then the man next to her repeats it, says the same thing and everyone loves it. And so he gets the credit. So if you see that happening, you can say, hey, you know, uh, Jacinda, she just, said, she just gave us this idea. Let's hear more from her to turn the conversation back to the, the woman who had the idea. And then there's other, you know, other situations. Again, if you see something that maybe you're not comfortable with calling out publicly, take that person aside privately and have a conversation with them, again, on behalf of your coworker. And what might you say when you pull that colleague aside privately? Yeah, you would say something like, hey, I, you know, I know that you likely didn't intend your behavior or actions, you know, to be in this way, but the way that it's perceived is that it's perceived in a harmful way and it's really getting in the way of this you know, our colleague being able to do her work. You know, just take it from the uh, the assumption of good intent on the part of the person who was exhibiting the bias and just assume that they they just don't know. They just didn't recognize it in themselves and uh, and that, you know, you're wanting to use it as a learning opportunity for them and for you. Can you speak at all to the toll that gender bias takes on people, women in the workplace? Yeah. So this is something I've heard over and over. It's like a thousand paper cuts. There's overt bias and then there's subtle bias. And in some ways, the subtle bias is more insidious. And it is those a thousand small paper cuts that, you know, one little thing we can like rub off our back, you know, just roll off our back. But then the next thing happens and the next thing happens and you get burnt out, you know, over the, over the weight of it. Sometimes it's harder to call out when it's subtle because it is subtle. And you think, is it, was it something I did wrong? Is that really bias? You know, in the book, we do take our time to explain all the different um, aspects so that you can recognize it, whether it's overt or subtle. And, and then of course, take action to um, hopefully eliminate it. I'm curious if you can share actions you've taken, ways you've tried to heal from workplace trauma, from gender bias, your own experiences? The way that I have healed, I'll tell you one of the ways is therapy, um, you know, going to, to uh, counseling. Um, I found that that's been very helpful. Another way is to, you know, find your allies. You know, I always say one of the things you need to do is build a support network. 
I was going through a very trying situation and I found a, a female, a woman ally who understood what I was going through and she offered me a, a whole lot of support during that time. And it was, she was just somebody I could just vent to and I could say, this is happening. You know, what do you think? She happened to be a colleague in the workplace. So she could actually, she actually also gave me sometimes tips for how to deal with the, the person that I was, um, you know, experiencing this situation with. But those two were the most helpful things, you know, having a, a therapist for the really traumatic, what I would consider more traumatic experiences, and then having, um, you know, workplace colleagues, uh, friends to help to have somebody to vent to and strategize with. Yeah. Gender bias is not purely binary, and I didn't mean to present it, listeners, mm-hmm. as such. So I'm wondering, Amy, have you heard from other marginalized groups and what they have to say about what you and your co-author have found in your research and what you've reported? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. And we we do state this in the book, gender uh, is not a binary. It's not fixed. It's, it's, you know, we know it's a spectrum. Feedback that we have received is actually from transgender people, people who have transitioned in particular from male to female, who will say, oh my goodness, this is absolutely spot on. When I was, when I was presenting as a man, you know, previously, you know, I didn't experience the challenges that I am experiencing now that I, that I am ex- presenting as a, as a, as a woman. And I'm just so thankful um, for, for those individuals to share their experience and, you know, f- uh, feedback because th- they, I think, understand more than anybody, you know, what it's like to be at one point, how it's like to be perceived when you're in a, you know, in a uh, male body versus a, versus a female one. I really appreciate that share. I was a part of a conference called Feminem, Women in Emergency Medicine. And at the annual conference, there was a speaker who transitioned from female to male. And he shared, everything became easier. Mm. He's like, wow, Mm. my whole life, everything at work, everything navigating the world became easier. Mm. And it was remarkable to hear, and the audience responded with laughter, Mm -hmm. but it really drove home the point. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's right. I ask on the Visible Voices about voice, and I'm wondering, Amy, when did you realize you had a voice? When did you start using that voice? That's a really good question. I love this question. I went to school for my doctorate for PhD. And as a part of that experience, when I was working on my dissertation, I interviewed 26 women leaders in higher education. And they were presidents and provosts and vice presidents. The thing that I gained from that experience was that I learned that these women were no different from me. They were high achieving. They had certainly achieved a lot. They had achieved more than, certainly more than me. But so many of them were dealing with pretty severe insecurities. Not all of them, but, but most of them. And I was talking to them about their experiences with adversity. And so they were sharing some pretty tough things with me. But I walked away from those interviews just again with that realization, these women are no different than me. Like I had looked at, I had thought about in particular the presidents, like they must be confident, secure in themselves. They must, you know, they have it all together. And what I found out was they're human. (laughs) Um, And, you know, again, they're high achieving, they've accomplished a lot, but they have the same insecurities as, as the rest of us. And that's when I found my voice actually, because from that experience, I realized these women have a voice. So I can have a voice too, no matter how insecure I'm feeling on the inside. How do you think writing glass walls, shattering the six gender bias barriers, still holding women back at work, did it change you? 
Yes, it did. It was a six-year journey to write this book. It started before COVID. And I actually went through my own workplace transition. I retired from my previous job and I took a a job at a new uh, institution. And and one of the ways that it changed me was it, it helped give me insight on what was happening at my previous institution. And it gave me the courage to say, you know, yeah, it's time to make a change for myself. Like, I don't have to continue to do what I've always done. I can go to a new environment and I can, you know, and try that out. And I was fortunate in that I could, I had worked there enough years that I could retire. You know, so after I had retired, I took a couple of, you know, a couple of months just to figure out like, what is it that I want to do? But it was really the writing of the book, which I was in the midst of at that time, that really gave me the confidence, you know, to understand like, it doesn't have to be this way. I can you know, to do something new, hopefully a place that's transparent and supportive and, you know, and and all the rest. Yeah. What's a final message you'd like to leave listeners? Gender bias is a very, very difficult problem, but it is completely solvable. And that's, again, the goal of the book is to give people, no matter where you are, who you are in an organization, whether you're the woman experiencing bias, whether you're a workplace ally, or whether you're a leader, to give you the strategies to uh, eliminate, to shatter, to mitigate, you know, all the biases that women are, are running into. Like once you can recognize it, then you can put into place practices that get rid of it. And it is completely solvable. And so that's the one message that I want listeners to know. The Risa wrap up. Special thanks to Dr. Amy Deal for joining me in conversation. Really enlightening, really sobering, really, really, really realistic. Three take-home points, audience. First of all, this concept of glass walls is real. And all you have to do is speak to someone that's had experience of gender bias in the workplace, and they'll tell you it's real. In fact, they'll probably be able to provide you with many, many, many examples, no matter what their industry. Number two, we can do better. All of us can do better. Whether we identify as the objects of bias, whether we are allies to people who experience bias, whether we are in leadership, we can all do better. And Amy and co-author highlight how. Number three, Amy highlighted how we can all start. Start by noticing. Noticing bias. And if you see it happen, call it out. Now, that can be hard. That can be uncomfortable. It can be as simple as pulling someone aside and saying, hey, we don't do that. Or, you know, that joke, it wasn't funny. Start simple. Start in a way that feels authentic to yourself. No matter what, just please, 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 please start. That's all I have for you this week, audience. See you next time. The Visible Voices podcast amplifies voices both known and unknown, discussing topics of healthcare, equity, and current trends. We are a production of the People's Media Network. Our team includes Dr. Giuliano DePorto and me, Dr. Risa E. Lewis. Please find me on social media at Risa E. Lewis and through the website, thevisiblevoicespodcast.com. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us. Share the podcast with a friend today. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, to be continued. Do you know there's research that women that attend women conferences are more likely to have a promotion or a raise in the next year? Imagine if you could also attend a retreat in California and enjoy some sunshine and beach time. That's what we put together for you April 5th through 7th in Huntington Beach, California. Visit peoplealwayshcc.com slash revitalize retreat to learn more.